The other day, my wife and I were lying in bed, and I told her I had a fantasy involving a gas station. And she said, oh, like I work there and you come in off a long road trip? And I said, no. She goes, well, what is it? I said, here you go. Here's the whole fantasy. I own a gas station and then retire. <laughs> That's the whole thing. She's like, well, I don't work there. I'm like, you can work there if you want. We always will have a place for you. It's like, there's no sex in it. I'm like, we can have sex if you want to. But the fantasy, the, the greatest fulfillment would come from owning a gas station and having all that passive income. All the margins I know are inside the store. I don't think they make much money at the pump. But I think inside on those waters that cost more than the beer somehow, that's the fantasy. Passive income, that's what I would like. I remember being a young, idealistic person in my 20s, and I was like, look at this. Can you imagine owning a fucking parking lot? Like, you're not even contributing anything. You're just charging people to, 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 to be present in a place that they need to be. You're charging them on the way to going and spending more money. Now, I'm like, fucking, you know how tight it would be to have a parking lot? I would run that shit. Oh my gosh, that would be so great. Oh, it's so dirty owning a parking lot. You're such a bastard. Be dirty owning a gas station, but you know what? This is the great thing about being alive in 2020. You we're living in a post-dirty world. There's no such thing as dirty anymore. It's all dirty. They made it that way. We're not in a post-racial world, but we are in a post-dirty world. So there's no such thing as ethical business anymore. That's what you tell yourself if you want to be a snake. So I will take your gas station. It's not amazing, too, how I can change from idealistic parking lots. are so lame, bro. And probably it was not to a bro. It was probably to a girl that I was trying to be like, no, I, I would. You know what I would do? I would make a garden here for homeless children, and I would read to them, and then maybe, maybe you'll have sex with me. That's predatory. Is it? Or is it just good dating? <laughs> I didn't force anybody with my fantasy of a homeless child reading facility. Anyway, it's interesting how you change. Speaking of which, you know who's really changed is Tommy Chung. One of the great stoner icons of all time, all of a sudden, is he's really upped his game. He's in my spam all the time. And every time I look at the internet, he's a clickbait thing. What does that mean? He was one of the, the rebels from inside. Maybe he's rebelling from inside the system still. But I worry for my, my weed friends that if you smoke too much weed and you're like, this is the life, I'm Tommy Chong, you later on could be like, hey, waving your hands over here at clickbait. I get an email from Tommy Chong or one of his representatives at least once a day. So be careful how much weed you smoke, I guess, is the moral of that story. It's really how much you change as you get older. And you just sell out. Anything you might have believed, you just sell out. Younger people listening is like, oh, what a fucking sellout. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Because being broke sucks.
You know that because you're young and you're broke. And capitalism is dirty. I don't like it. I sold out, but I've not bought in. Like, I'm not in it mentally, but I'll take the money, which is worse, I think, probably. Probably like somebody who worked in Germany in the late 30s. Or worked for any one of the U.S. corporations that helped Germany be so efficient in that project they were carrying out over there. IBM? No. Ford? No, not at all. Those companies. Ford. The official vehicle of authoritarianism. Every time I see a vehicle on TV plowing into a crowd of protesters, it's got that beautiful blue Ford logo there. We know these are tense times. Uncertainty and tension in the great country of the United States. So we at Ford, a country, a country, a company legendary for its anti-Semitism, will plow vehicles into crowds of young people who simply want equality. Fuck with us. We're Ford. Do I have to say, what, oh, I had this thought, I would love for this podcast to be big enough where I have to say allegedly. Right? I don't know. I hate that expression, right. And I'm saying that I hate it because I want to keep myself honest. I feel like if I'm saying right, I'm saying you know what I mean? And does that make sense to you? Because it doesn't make sense to me. When does it have to be allegedly? Do I have to say Ford has an alleged history of anti-Semitism? I think they have like a museum in honor of the Holocaust. I could be wrong. But who gives a shit? Just some asshole talking on the internet like everybody else. When do I become liable for what I say? When does my, when does my podcast get that big? I don't know. I did get locked out of Twitter for something I tweeted to my, at the time, like 18 followers. So they were really holding the powerful accountable. Uh, the president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump, the leader, the commander in chief, the boss of everybody who wears a uniform in this country. Everybody who is in the armed services the person at the top of their org chart is Donald J. Trump. They are his employees. He works for them. The taxpayers, I don't know. They're, who gives a shit about them, right? That sounds cynical and bitter, but the people who work in the armed forces report to Donald J. Trump. They are his employees. That's naturally going to set up a bit of a divide between the people who work for Donald J. Trump and maybe people who don't support Donald J. Trump. And that's unfortunate. But a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, Donald J. Trump, the president of the United States of America, tweeted, I think, because, you know, he's 70 or something. He tweeted that a vote for his opponent would, quote, hurt God. It would hurt God. And I do not have the time or the marijuana intake to unpack what God is. Um, but suffice it to say that God, if you just look up the dictionary definition, is a deity. And what a deity is, is a supernatural being. 
And after that, you're like, wait, how much weed are we smoking here? What is going on? I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm glad that it, what am I glad about God? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not glad about God. But God, anyway, is a deity which is a supernatural being. So, the President of the United States of America, the person who is in charge of every single person who is wearing a uniform in this country, said that voting for his opponent would hurt this supernatural being. Which I guess when you think about it, they all report to. There is a supernatural being who runs the game. He's like the liar Cohen or Lior Cohen, however you say that guy, the tall Jew who runs his whole game in the rap world. That guy is nice, by the way. The super, a vote for his opponent would hurt this supernatural being, which if you just think about that, it's like tiddlywinks. It's like that doesn't have any meaning. What is it? Who cares? Like, let him say that. That's great. Hey, if you do, if you go into a booth and you check a box that endorses my opponent, what you're doing is you're injuring a supernatural being. And a supernatural being is something that requires a series of mathematical computations to allege exists. So who really cares if it hurts this thing that is... A vote for my opponent hurts a unicorn riding a unicycle. It's kind of like that, right? No judgment intended. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's far-fetched, to say the least. Hurts God. So I, to my 18 loyal followers, probably 20% of which are bots, tweeted, I am selling my vote to anyone who hurts God. And all that bullshit. Grow up, you pussies. Full stop. Now, that's not really an incisive or interesting tweet. Not really. Not at all. It sounds like it was written by a 15-year-old frustrated that nobody will talk to him and no girl is interested in his story about starting a reading camp for homeless people. It's not that interesting. I'm not good at Twitter. And a lot of times, like everybody else, I just go tweet because I feel like, excuse me, there's no other outlet for my frustration. Right? And that's why Twitter is a shithole. Because it's people like me expressing our frustration at each other, which only makes the rest of, makes each other look at our phones like, God, Twitter is a cesspool. So I tweeted this, selling my vote to anyone who hurts God and all that bullshit. I'm not exactly sure what I meant, but meaning I probably was frustrated that uh, we live in a world commanded by supernatural beings to which 85% of the world is loyal and this person who is in charge of the armed forces of the United States of America is saying that the vote for... Ah, who, 
it's Twitter, right? I don't have to have like a strategy behind it. It was just some bullshit thing that I tweeted. The most offensive part, really, is it says grow up, you pussies. Because pussies is a negative term and it's a sexist term and it's a term that I would like to have less in my language. I would like to use pussy as a slur, as a pejorative term, less. I would. I don't use the R word outside the home anymore. Um, those are the last two for me. The R word and pussies. I don't use the R word outside of the home around non-comics, generally speaking. I don't like it. I'm not proud of it. I'm not brave for fucking saying it. I'm not going to build a special around it. Um, it's a tough one. But pussies is offensive, and uh, I would like to use less of it. That's my tweet. Telling my vote to anyone who hurts God and all that bullshit. Grow up, you pussies. And I got a note from Twitter saying, Hi, Joe Smith. Your account, at yes, Joe Smith has been locked for violating the Twitter rules. And it said that, specifically, I was, I was uh, kicked off of Twitter, locked, for violating rules against posting misleading information about voting. So maybe they're just saying, um, I don't know what they're saying. Maybe they're saying that God should play no role in the election, the uh, supernatural being. Whatever the case, there's nothing misleading in my tweet. I'm violating Twitter rules against misleading information about posting or voting. There's nothing misleading in there. So anyway, a couple of months ago, Twitter said you can't use our service unless you, you can appeal it or you can take this tweet down. And so I appealed it and said, hey, just FYI, I think the machine, the AI or algorithm or however you do this, made a mistake. I, it's a dumb tweet, like most tweets are, but I'm not trying to incite violence, uh, I don't think. I'm not trying to... Uh, I'm not trying to mislead anyone. I'm, as, if anything, I'm being forthright. I will sell you my vote. That's not misleading. I'm, I'm saying that. But I was not demonstrative when I made my appeal to Twitter. I just said, I think there's a mistake. Please take a look. NBD. And then they apparently didn't look at it for a month or so, yet still kept sending me spam notifications. Hey, make sure you check out what's going on Twitter. Hey, Joe, check out this thing on Twitter. And I was like, I can't. You guys won't let me in to the party that nobody really wants to be at, but we have to have something to look at when we have nothing else to look at. Entertain ourselves and get a dopamine shot. That's what I... That's what I felt when they sent me those those notifications. Anyway, this is so boring and so uninteresting. And you know what makes it even worse? The waste of time that this tale is told? Is nothing's at stake. Literally. Me saying some dumb shit on Twitter to 18 people? There's nothing at stake. So why did I waste anybody listening to this time? I almost should really make it interesting and not finish the story. But Twitter sent me a note, finally, 
today or yesterday saying, uh, hey, uh, we checked and after reviewing your account, it turns out you did violate our policy and we are not going to overturn your being locked out and go to Twitter and remove that tweet or you can't use our service. And really, uh, now I'm just throwing good money after bad and, and just hear people like turning this fucking thing off, which you should. If if I were listening to this right now, I would press stop and say, you know what, I might have enjoyed the couple others that this guy did, but this one fucking sucks and he needs to, uh, he needs to splash some water on his face and, and do another one. Well, I empathize, so please do that and I will see you next time if you feel like it. However, I'm not going to delete the goddamn tweet because here's why. Not because I'm hard-headed. Because I'm not sure I need Twitter in my life. I'm not sure I do. I used to think that I would go on Twitter only to post something. Like, how selfish is that? Here I am. I'm just going to take. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm just going to take this space to make my words heard. And then I'm going to go right off it. And that I would never search for anything on Twitter. Right, Because then it just becomes, like I mentioned the other day, a big confirmatory bias. Hey, is anybody else out there going to confirm what I think I believe? (laughs) No, of course not. Uh, That's all Twitter is. So I'm not going to delete it because I'm going to see if I need Twitter, and I'm not sure that I do. So uh, that is just a ridiculous waste of everyone's time. You know what is not a waste of time? Or is the ultimate waste of time, depending on how you look at it, the game of solitaire? (laughs) I don't know when the last time you played solitaire was, but my daughter the other day found a pack of cards. A pack of playing cards, which also seems like they're from a different era. She found a pack of playing cards and they were out on the table for a few days. And while my wife was changing her diaper or... My, I don't. Some activity involving the two of them that did not include me was happening. I had the cards and I was sitting on the floor, and I tried to remember how to play solitaire, which I I never really played all that much, and don't know how to play as it turns out. But who who was the aspiring fucking Russian school shooter who invented that game? Solitaire. Can you imagine inventing that game? I hope someone someday is as lonely as I am. (laughs) So I'm going to turn over the cards alone. I'm tired of licking the walls and pushing the dust into the corner. Now, oh my God, what a pre-suicide game that is. Well, what are you doing? I'm just passing the time until I die. And I get it. We all need something to get through. I spent a lot of my time, a lot of my life going into bars, drinking, just sort of passing the time until I die. Solitaire. (laughs) Oh, my God. And you know what? My wife told me. I didn't verify this because I don't know how to play. You can lose at solitaire. You can play alone, alone still, alone forever. Oh, no, I lost. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. That is the saddest game. Who in their deranged mind would come up with a game you play only by yourself for hours? And you know what? Here's the catch, kids. You can lose. It's just like life. So maybe that Russian kid or German kid or whoever it was, kid, 42-year-old single government employee in a Cold War third-rate, third-rate, third-tier, what am I trying to say, tertiary city. So not a Belgrade or a Munich, but whatever is two steps below those in those countries. I will now play the game by myself where I turn over the cards and hope I can put them together. It's not a bad game when I, you know, was playing it wrong. And I was like, all right, there's something to this. One, two, three, however. But somebody had to invent that fucking game. And do I feel for them? Oh, my gosh. Spare a thought for the person who invented Solitaire.